Hi, I'm Bob Eckblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. Today I want to look at the call of Matthew in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. And this is a scripture that I've visited and revisited as I've found it so fruitful as a text to read with people who are not yet followers of Jesus, not yet believers. I've read this with just countless um, Bible study groups in jails and prisons over my lifetime and in Honduras, under mango trees and in cornfields. And um, and I've also been reading it with our people at Tierra Nueva and most recently last Wednesday. And um, I've been reading a book by um, a hermit from the sixth century. Um, he is like a monk who was named uh, Philemon of Gaza. And uh, there were four um, volumes, commentaries on the Gospels that were found in a monastery um, not, not so long ago that were all in Greek that had been translated by a monk in France into French. And then um, Daniel Bourget, the man that Gracie and I studied with, who I did my, you know, my thesis with, he is editing these volumes and published um, the first volume in French, um, which we've translated into English, which is called uh, Philemon of Gaza Meditates Mark's Gospel. And this is just amazing contemplative kind of reading of the scripture that takes into account uh, the details of the text. It's like exegetically super um, well done, you know, like very literate reading of the text. Anyway, I'm reading right now um, Philemon of Gaza's commentary on Matthew. And wow, it's just, it's just blowing my mind. And I'm, um, so I want to share some insights from Philemon of Gaza about this text and, you know, kind of uh, weaving in some of my own insights that have come through reading with our people. So let's start with uh, Matthew 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Philemon of Gaza points out the humility of Matthew, which he sees as really clearly uh, stated here in a way, I mean, just visible in that Matthew's gospel was written by Matthew. It's attributed to Matthew, this tax collector. And here um, Matthew presents himself for the very first time, nine chapters in. And um, it's like he tells us really nothing about his life before meeting Jesus, almost like his life hadn't really begun until he met Jesus. So how does he say that? Well, first of all, he points out that there's no mention of his prior name, Levi, or that he's the son of Alphaeus. And that's um, mentioned in both Mark's account and in Luke's account. In fact, he's not even called Matthew in, 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 when he's sitting at the text booth. He's called Levi, son of Alphaeus. And, and so, you know, Levi, um, actually, here's something that I just was thinking about. Um, you know, Levi is named after the third son of Jacob, right? And he's the father of the Levites. And so the Levites were a priestly um, tribe. And so they were committed to the purification rites that would allow them to go into the, you know, the tent of meeting and then later the temple. And so uh, the Levites were associated with purity, weren't they? And so here's a man named Levi, the son of Alphaeus, who 
is sitting at a tax collector booth. Anyway, um, the name um, that Matthew's gospel mentions is the one that Jesus gave him, Matthew, which uh, I found means actually gift of God. And um, so interestingly, there's no mention of Jesus saying, your name is Levi, but now I'm going to call you Matthew. But we do see that um, in Mark and in Luke, he's called Levi, son of Alphaeus. But then when the apostles are mentioned, Levi's not there. He's, it's just Matthew. And so uh, because of, of Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, you know, we know that this text collector, his name was Matthew. And that's where the association is between Matthew and Levi. Anyway, um, let's get back to the you know, this contemplative read of, of Philemon of Gaza. So um, in stating that, you know, his own name here, um, you know, in stating um, he was a man called Matthew, okay, um, Jesus is really being described as his father, the one who had given him life. And Philemon of Gaza asks, can I truly say that my life didn't begin until I was met and called by Jesus? That's a question that we can ask ourselves, can't we? And uh, when I think about myself, I, I think about um, my experience being up on El Capitan on the Salafi Wall when I was 18 and uh, in a lightning storm. And when I feel like I was truly met by God, I really saw myself as in dire straits and in, at risk of of dying at any moment. And that's when I really surrendered over my life to, to Jesus fully. And, and it really led to this whole new beginning for me, even though I've, you know, I really feel like I knew Jesus before that, but that was a decisive moment when I actually um, received like, I guess, a saving gesture from God that turned my life around. But um, anyway, let's look at Philemon's next point. Um, Philemon points out that Jesus saw a man, uh, and that's the term in Greek, anthropos, which actually can mean a human being, because it refers to male or females. And um, so if everything began with Jesus seeing this man, uh, this look of Jesus is presented as a look um, that is associated with God seeing his creatures at the beginning of the world. And sure enough, actually, the verb um, horao, um, you know, and Jesus saw is um, is the same word that's used in the Septuagint of Genesis chapter one, where we have and God saw, um, you know, all the different creatures that He made, like in verse eight, ten, twelve, eighteen, twenty-five. You know, God saw that it was good, or it was in Greek uh, beautiful, kalos, which means uh, beautiful or or good. And so, Philemon of Gaza sees that Matthew's use of the same bird. Um, is expressing uh, how God actually was seeing Matthew as as good and as beautiful. And um, even though Matthew himself doesn't doesn't draw that out, he doesn't say, and, and Jesus saw that he was good because I think because of his own humility, he refused to, you know, to attribute goodness to himself. In fact, what he attributes to himself is that he was sitting at a tax collector's booth. Um, you know, Matthew you know, um, I think could be viewed as drawing from the Torah, you know, from, you know, from Genesis chapter one, as he was, uh, Matthew's known for being very much rooted in, you know, and in, in 
in the Old Testament, and it's written for Jewish Christians. And so there's constant links between, you know, between Jesus's teachings and, and the Hebrew Bible. And often there's direct translations from the Hebrew that don't even use the Septuagint. But here, you know, we have God, um, you know, in the form of Jesus, the Son of God, seeing and, uh, and there's that idea of seeing him as good. And wow, is that ever a powerful thing? You know, when people um, who are, you know, who are full of self-hatred and self-loathing, you know, so many of the people that we serve have, have just huge judgments against themselves. You know, they can talk about, they can hear about the gospel, about how when we confess our sins, you know, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. But often what's hard for our people and, Hard for us, perhaps, too, is just to forgive ourselves for our misdeeds. And so um, the, the, just Jesus is seeing, God's seeing of us as good is, um, is something that we need. We need to be able to see ourselves through the eyes of Jesus uh, as being beautiful, as being good. So what does God see sitting at the tax collector booth? Okay, well, Philemon of Gaza points out that he didn't see a tax collector, but a man, a human, a word that means precisely the human created by God, um, as that's the same word that we have in Genesis 1, 26 to 27, where God creates um, humans, you know, anthropos, in his image, male and female, he created them. How amazing that is, Philemon of Gaza points out. So not a tax collector, because... Um, in Matthew 9, it doesn't call, Matthew doesn't call himself a tax collector, but he calls himself a man sitting at uh, the tax collector's booth, right? And, um, and what's interesting is that links also back to Matthew chapter um, 4, where we have um, the citation of uh, Isaiah chapter 8, where, you know, when Jesus goes to Galilee, he goes there um, in fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. Those who were sitting in the land and the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. And so here we have a direct, direct link um, in Matthew sitting at the tax collector booth with those that are sitting in darkness who um, have seen a great light. Why? Well, because Jesus... Um, went on from there and saw Matthew, right? And um, anyway, that's just, I think that's just a beautiful insight, um, Philemon of Gazas. And, um, you know, in, in contrast to Matthew, Mark says that Jesus saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, and uh, Luke says Jesus saw a tax collector named Levi. Okay, so Matthew um, doesn't, is Matthew seeing himself not as a tax collector, but... Um, as a man, and, and, and Matthew is the only gospel who designates him as, you know, as a human being. So, so then Matthew considers Jesus to not only be his father, but also his creator, with that link to, you know, God creating um, the, the human being in his image, male and female. And I'm going to quote from Philemon of Gaza. What a teaching for me. This exhorts me to retain how much Jesus looks into the depths of my heart, to see not the sinner that I am, but the creature, good and even very good, just as he or she came from the hands of God with the same infinite love of the Creator, 
who contemplates his works. It is in this way, with his inexpressible divine love, that Jesus contemplates me when he calls me to follow, and he contemplates me still, like he contemplated Matthew, and each of us. What an amazing look he gives us. And that's from page 103 of the French version of Philemon of Gaza's um, meditation of, Mark, of Matthew. So um, I want to add something of my own here um, right at the beginning, um, right prior to, you know, to this text. Um, we have Jesus's healing of a paralytic, you know, Matthew's version of it, you know, where he crosses the sea to his own city and then he comes, um, this is right after he's cast out um, the demons in the land of the Gerasene and, um, and they bring to him a paralytic who's lying on a bed. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to him, the paralytic, take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And, um, and then some of the scribes said to themselves, this fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed and go home. And he got up and he went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to man. So I find that really interesting that this, this word authority, exousias, is used twice here. You know, first Jesus says, so that you may know that the son of man, the human one, has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he says to the paralytic, get up, pick up your, your bed and go home. And, um, and just that command that Jesus gives the man, um, which is empowered by his authority, you know, through the Holy Spirit, through his identity as a son of the father, you know, um, that's noted by the people who, um, who are awestruck and they glorify God, who's given such authority to man you know, to human beings, anthropos. And so that term, you know, um, human being is immediately followed by Jesus going up from there and he saw a man, an anthropos, same term, right? Called Matthew. And, um, and so we're, this is a setup really for what's going to come in the next chapter where, um, you know, Matthew goes from sitting to being raised up. In fact, the term, um, raised up here is the same word as resurrected. He got up like he was resurrected and he followed him. And, um, and so it's this new life uh, that is uh, awakened by Jesus's uh, movement towards us and his proactive initiative, uh, you know, like it's his initiative. He comes and finds us. The light shines in the darkness to the, on those that are sitting in darkness it's that light that awakens him and uh, to his vocation. And so he has a new beginning. And in Matthew chapter 10, it says, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples. So this is just, just the next chapter. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So, wow. So that authority is um, now going to be given to Matthew. And he is mentioned by name in this next uh, section. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these, the first Simon, who's called Peter, 
and Andrew's brother, and James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew the tax collector. There he is. James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. So authority was given to all of these people. And, um, and authority is given to us. And I love that um, Matthew calls himself Matthew the tax collector. And he's calling himself that um, when he wasn't any longer a tax collector, right? So that shows tr Matthew's tremendous humility. You know, um, so there's this interesting thing that, first of all, Matthew defines himself not as Matthew the tax collector, but Ma as Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. But then, you know, after, you know, the, the beginning of the next chapter, when he lists himself, he calls himself Matthew the tax collector. And I think that's that's a mark of that amazing humility, you know, um, which is rooted first in him being able to acknowledge that, you know, that um, himself with his name given by Jesus, um, you know, gift of God and uh, his identity as a human being made, you know, by the creator and seen as good, as beautiful, right? Which is what we need to hear first and foremost, that, that we're good, that we're beautiful, that we're created by God, um, especially people on the margins, people who are um, marked by their, um, you know, by their exclusion as outcasts. And so many of the people we work with, they don't need to see themselves first and foremost as sinners, like so many evangelicals uh, say is the first step. You know, you have to recognize yourself as it's just, you know, just radically fallen. And they already are, they're already so far down that road. You know, what they need is, is really to see themselves as, as beloved, as, as, as loved and um, through the eyes of, of Jesus and through our eyes as his disciples. So um, I'm going to now uh, go back to Philemon of Gaza's commentary and just quote a beautiful section here. Um, of course, Matthew, like Adam and each of us, became a sinner. This is what strikes the Pharisees, who only see this. This is what also strikes Matthew himself, who humbly must have also recognized himself as a sinner, and even a friend of sinners. He who presents himself among sinners, who he invites to his house. It is true, but it is revealed to us here that if Jesus saw in Matthew a sinner, he also sees him as having value through his eyes of mercy. Indeed, it was with his divine mercy that he stops at the tax collector booth. Humbly, Jesus obeys his Father, who has always said through the prophets that he desires mercy and not sacrifice. Humbly, Jesus obeys his Father. And so with mercy, he calls Matthew, the sinner. What good news for me. But that's not all. In his grace, in fact, Jesus did not come to condemn the sinners that we are, but to heal us. As he himself later says in Matthew's house, he did not come for the healthy, but for the sick. For in truth, our sins, so often repeated, become passions that need the care of a physician. Oh, my soul, blessed are we to have as our physician the best there is, Jesus himself. And so, in this magnificent account, Matthew tells us what he discovered when he followed Jesus. He discovered his father, his creator, a father full of mercy, as well as a physician full of infinite compassion, as only God is capable of being so full of mercy, compassion, and love.
So that's Philemon of Gaza's commentary. So I want to look now um, at just, just the rest of this text and then make a few observations based on the Bible studies that, that we Bible study we did last Wednesday. So Matthew immediately um, got up and followed him. Then in verse 10 to 13, then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. So um, often I have pointed out to people, I've asked the question, so who followed whom? You know, where did Jesus and Matthew go right after uh, Matthew got up to follow Jesus? Well, they went to Matthew, the tax collector's house. And um, so maybe Jesus followed Matthew, right? Or, um, or it could be that, you know, that Jesus just led the way to Matthew's house. But I think it's more likely that, that Jesus followed Matthew to his house, like uh, Matthew was offering him good Middle Eastern hospitality and said, hey, come on over and have some, you know, have some, um, you know, some pita bread and some hummus or whatever. So it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, um, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his, and his disciples. So here we see that, you know, that Matthew associates himself with many other tax collectors and with sinners. So it's not just, you know, his professional group, but it's notable sinners. And I just find that, you know, to be so, so beautiful. And if we look at Mark's gospel, which um, has an added detail here that I want to read, um, this is one that often just really strikes people. You know, when um, in the Mark's equivalent, which is uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 15, and it and it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. Wow, so that, um, that look of Jesus was um, a look that drew people who, you know, were, had, were stigmatized as, um, as unclean and as rejected um, to Jesus. And, you know, including uh, Levi in Mark's account, right? Who's Matthew in Matthew's account. And um, hopefully, you know, you and me and people that we associate with, you know, who more and more these days are seeing Christians as, as the morality police. And as Christians get um, overly identified with political parties and with the culture wars and with, you know, the cancel culture that is just so rampant these days, you know, too often uh, Christians are just associated with political and moral agendas, whether they're on the left or on the right. And, um, you know, with right action as being what's required. And, um, and here we have transgressors, um, you know, people that are not following the, you know, the status quo, the, you know, the, I guess the cultural mandates, but are the excluded and who are drawn to Jesus. And why do we ever need to recover that gospel these days? So, um, so anyway, th this really touched a lot of the folks that came to our Bible study. And, you know, often I'll ask people, well, Matthew was a tax collector, but, you know, where, you know, where, where, where do we find ourselves sitting? And the other day, um, this man named George, a Mexican guy, he was saying, um, yeah, it's like, you know, George, the alcoholic, um, was, was sitting there drinking. And Jesus said, follow me. 
And he, and he got up and I got up and I followed him. You know, wow. And he just was so struck by that. He kept repeating it over and over and, and just amazed that his status as a, a recovering alcoholic who's been um, in recovery now for a while, um, you know, but he still sees himself as as someone tainted by the years that he that he had an alcohol problem. And this just warmed his heart. He was just like shaking his head with a big, huge smile. And um, anyway, so, and then we see uh, the Pharisees in verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, okay, when they saw Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, why? Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and the sinners? Okay, and we talk about that, you know, in our Bible studies, like, are there religious sort of police out there or people that would be judgmental today if, you know, Jesus or followers of Jesus hung out, say with, you know, drug dealers or fentanyl users or, you know, or pedophiles or, you know, the gay, lesbian, trans community or, you know, anyone. I mean, like, like it's, it's obvious that, you know, um, when we make movements of inclusion and we embrace the outsiders, the rejected, you know, those that are hated by different groups, you know, um, there are going to be people that are going to judge us. And so, you know, the Pharisees, who are the Pharisees today? And, and it seems like we're really in a, in a place in our, in our world where, you know, where, the, where there's camps of Pharisees on the left and on the right, there's progressive Pharisees and there's, you know, conservative Pharisees or, you know, left wing and right wing. And uh, wow, do we ever need uh, an alternate view? you know, an alternate approach, I guess. And, um, and Jesus offers that to us and we need to be students of Jesus. Um, but when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. So in other words, if I, if I need Jesus, um, maybe I need to recognize myself as ill, as sick and in need of a doctor. And if I don't, if I see myself as completely fine, and everything's good with me, okay. Well, then I'm in a I'm in a I'm in a dangerous place spiritually, of, of maybe elevating myself over and above um, anyone who is not yet sick, and yet even by identifying others as sick, that would be a step up from the way often Pharisees today and then would view people. They wouldn't see them as sin, but just sinful as just but just unclean or lawbreaking, you know, violators of of of, of the of the laws of God or the laws of the land. And here, even to be able to recognize myself as sick and, and as others who Jesus would embrace the excluded, who would, who would be people that maybe would offend me that Jesus is accepting them, um, for me to see them as sick and, um, as the issue of them being sick, like someone who's a drug, drug addict or, um, or an alcoholic as being, as having a sickness and illness, that would be a huge uh, step up. And so Jesus is inviting us to see sin um, as related to sickness, uh, which Philemon of Gaza, he's definitely in that tradition of the early church fathers of, of the Eastern tradition who saw sin as sickness and God as a physician. But here's the part that really always strikes me. Verse 13, Jesus says, but go, go and learn. And that's... Um, second plural imperatives, you know, go and learn. Like, in other words, is Jesus actually um, dismissing these uh, judgmental people, these Pharisees from the dinner party 
that's how I read it. And that really touches the people that we read with who feel uh, stigmatized and as outcasts and judged by the status quo, you know, by the righteous, so to speak. Um, Jesus tells them, you know, get out of here. You know, you go and you learn, okay, um, what this means. So Jesus gives them a serious homework assignment and he gives them something directly out of Hosea. I desire compassion. So go and learn what this means. I, that is God, desires compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Wow. So they're supposed to go learn. And um, and then, so there's an, they're, they're dismissed. They're told to go because uh, Jesus wants to create a safe site for the tax collectors and sinners to be able to eat in peace with him and enjoy his company. And we want to be people that create safe sites that are people who are safe. Um, you know, we talk about our church as being a no-barrier church, um, even though clearly we have to have boundaries of sorts, different kinds of boundaries. But we we welcome people and we try to make um, our site, our faith community, a place, um, you know, where people feel like they're not going to be judged. In fact, we've even written um, a sign on the outside of our door saying, no judgment here, uh, which, of course, isn't completely accurate because there's always going to be judgment. But we're committed to, to being a place where, you know, where we're combating that judgment in our own hearts. We're trying to uh, remove it from our, you know, from ourselves. And we're inviting other people to, to, to not judge, um, but to, you know, to really love people the way Jesus loves. And, um, and here, um, those who Jesus came to call um, are not the righteous. In other words, not those that uh, have qualified, become, you know, qualified to be, um, you know, to be ordained or to be, you know, to be commissioned or um, through having jumped through hoops and uh, shown a certain kind of character. Uh, you know, we justify our whole approach. And I guess for lots of good reasons, you know, we think character character is important. We We do need to be careful about who we, you know, who we lay hands on. And yet I think we, you know, we, we can use that to justify kind of a um, insider outsider mindset that I don't think Jesus has in the way that maybe we wish that he would. Um, Cause he says he didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. If he came to call the sinners um, in this case, Matthew's still sitting among his tax collector friends and we never see him breaking company with all of them and just, being done with them, um, still when he's given that authority, he's called Matthew the tax collector, and um, and so you know let's take that to heart and uh, and let that you know infect us that that incredible gracious love um, loving gaze of Jesus um, may that uh, be something we can receive personally for ourselves and let it penetrate us to our core and and let us see ourselves the way Jesus sees us as. Um, as maybe we're sitting in darkness, you know, we're sitting at, in a lifestyle that is not, um, you know, fully where we need to be. Okay. But Jesus sees us and, um, he doesn't disqualifies us, uh, disqualify us, but he, he sees us, um, as, as good, as very good, as, as, as beautiful. And, and he calls us and, and yes, we have, um, we have a, a step to take, which is to get up 
But that step is something that is um, empowered by the very call of Jesus. And we're resurrected and we follow and we can we can step into um, receiving the authority to be um, human beings um, who are who were originally created, right, in Genesis chapter 1, um, in God's image and likeness. And we still have that image and likeness. And and God gave those human beings authority. You know, he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the, everything. Like we're called to step um, into a place of authority over the non-human creation, which includes over so authority over sickness, over evil spirits, over powers and principalities. And so let's, um, let's move forward and may God bless you as you do that.